go off script here for just a second. First of all, um, there's a lot of theological context attached to calling God who, so keep an eye on him. He could go to seminary. Um, there are multiple times when it's asked in the Bible, who knows? And the answer is God. So let's just keep that in mind. Knock, knock. Let us, let us pray. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our Redeemer. Amen. First reading that I'm going to do, or the only reading actually, don't worry, um, is uh, the lesson of Thomas um, from the Gospel of John. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. I think you all have the New Revised Standard in your pews. Feel free to read along. I love comparing those translations. It shouldn't be too different. It was, the first, it was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. And Thomas, the one called Didymus, or the twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. No more disbelief. Belief. Thomas responded to Jesus and said, My Lord, my God. And Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. Amen. Outside of Jesus' resurrection, the Gospel of John highlights seven major signs of the Messiah. And I'm going to do something decidedly unpresbyterian and see if anybody here can name them. Any of the signs? Any of them at all? All right. I was going to ask you to put them in order if you could. The first is what I consider an all-time classic. It's water turned to wine. And I'm a fan of that one. The second is the healing of a government official's son. Third, by the order of Christ, a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years was made to take up his things and walk away. Next, and I know y'all appreciate this, this is the greatest fish fry in history. Just fish as far as the eye could see, just from a, from a, a basket of them, and they just brought it out for the world. And fifth, Jesus walked on water. 
Sixth, a man who had been blind since birth was made to suddenly see. And then, of course, a foreshadowing of what was to come. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. And though the symbolism of the seven signs and the number seven in general is of great schematic and theological importance, calling them by the colloquial seven miracles in John's gospel is a little bit of an undersell. John's author is particularly preoccupied by tons of scriptural fulfillments of the gospel, as well as the prophecies of John the Baptist, who had the distinct honor of actually accurately calling the arrival of the Messiah in a multi-millennial-long tradition of whiffing on that one. And I personally believe these are miracles, if only minor ones. Not counted among the seven is the showstopper, right? What we celebrated last week, the resurrection, as well as the events that followed over the course of the next few days. John's gospel captures three stories of Jesus' appearance after his resurrection, and today is about the first two. As we read, Jesus appeared the day after the resurrection, and the disciples were truly frightened of the authorities. Matthew 28 suggests that the gospel was already creating, I'm sorry, that the government was already creating an alternate timeline of the Easter event so as to create a, a misinformation campaign about Jesus' resurrection that blamed the disciples for stealing his body. The people closest to Jesus were not only devastated and frightened by the heinous crucifixion of their leader, they also had reason to fear the government was going to pin a whole new set of crimes on them. The Gospel of Luke's parallel telling of this story gives a more complex understanding of how the disciples reacted when Jesus first showed up to them. Jesus said to them, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet. It's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. All of this is to say, Thomas isn't even mentioned in this account. Presumably, in concurrence with the Gospel of John, Thomas wasn't even at this appearance. Even as Jesus does admonish the other disciples for their doubt. So, Luke is definitely cutting Thomas some slack by pointing out the doubts of the other disciples. In John's telling, the disciples were behind closed doors when Jesus arrived on his first visit with the disciples. And I love, I love this. Not really describing how he arrived our imaginations are left to run wild. Did he just walk in? Did he appear magic? Either way, John suggests they were super pumped about it and filled with joy and not notably concerned with the absurdity of the situation. And they seem to take it in stride. John's version has one more wrinkle to it, though, and that's what we read today. In John's gospel, one disciple, Thomas, wasn't at the first meeting, and though all of his friends were honest brokers and witnesses to countless miracles, Thomas couldn't bring himself to believe in Christ's return. Would you? This one's not a call and response. 
Even if Thomas fully believed in the resurrection itself, why should we think it is easy to accept that a Jesus so mighty, so clearly not of this world, would bother returning to visit with his followers? Not just that, but the disciples had not prepared him for a Jesus in clean robes or a halo. They told him they ran into a Savior with holes through his hands, in his feet, in his torso. So I truly empathize with Thomas here. Why, after Jesus spent all that time suffering, and a couple days in a tomb, would he return bearing fresh wounds? Why not fix that? You may have heard last week, it was only a week ago, that he had healed someone's ear. It can't have felt good to walk around on those sore feet. This is not the most straightforward depiction of someone triumphant over death. So, given what we infer from Luke, at the very least, Thomas was not alone in his moments of doubt, and even if he was, I'm not going to be the one to cast that stone. And yet, because this is a continuation of the resurrection story, this particular moment is not counted among the seven miracles. But if it happened right here, right now, I think we'd struggle to think of a better description than miracle. Not just because Jesus showed up to hang out with his pals or that he was alive walking around mere days after a humiliating, well-documented crucifixion, but because of what it does for us when we imagine ourselves in the story. Where are you in it? Who are you in it? Once again, don't worry, I won't make you raise your hands for this one. Sometimes, when things are going great for me, I fancy myself to be a John, the one who Jesus loved most. But just because Jesus loved John does not mean John was without sin. And yes, for the sake of convenience, or comfort, or security, or something else, we have denied Jesus by not loving our neighbor. But Peter also tended to Jesus' sheep, as we heard today in Acts. And on your worst day, at your worst hour, you may, like Thomas, had your faith in Jesus, but not all of it. And that's why Earl Palmer writes in the Intimate Gospel that Thomas's story is more redemptive than at first glance. He says, the incident closes with the words of Jesus. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. These words have been interpreted as a rebuke of Thomas's hesitancy believe. But Palmer chooses, however, to interpret the sentence as a simple declarative statement of fact. Thomas believes. And many disciples who will not have the visual sign that Thomas has experienced will also believe. In other words, the doubt of Thomas, as it's resolved, becomes a gain for countless people through the centuries since Thomas. According to theologian Marvin Meyer, the Gospel of John sets the scene with Thomas and his doubts in order to allow Jesus to congratulate future believers in the cross and the resurrection. Congratulations. 
pat yourself on the back for that. So here we are today, given the benefit of the doubt, because of Thomas' example. Because Thomas saw the evidence of Jesus who suffers for and with us. We have the capacity to believe without seeing. We are praised for the times when our faith outstretches our doubt. Yes, faith as prophecy. Another miracle from the Gospel of John. Faith can serve as a type of prophecy because faith has the capacity for fulfillment. President of my seminary, a brilliant New Testament scholar named Dr. Brian Blunt, who I was quite excited to see is in Barrett's collection back there, says faith is an ethical action because it requires those who believe to alter the fundamental way in which they know and understand themselves. What we learn here affects how we act out there. In his commentary, Palmer notes that the disciples did not chase Thomas off when he declined to believe in their visit with Christ. For that matter, Thomas didn't leave them either. Given what we know about Jesus, given the faith we have in our hearts, we have all the evidence we need to follow Christ's teaching. Serve the needy, to care for the oppressed, to love our neighbors, and to do these things as a means of worshiping our loving God who sent his only son to die so that we may live. The story of doubting Thomas only appears in one gospel, this one. Why was it included in John? I think the answer lies in the final verse of chapter 20. These things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is not a tale written to leave you feeling convicted, a tale made to, feel you, made to make you feel insecure about your fate. It's a story written to help you believe and have life. And while our faith will falter, we can see how it never completely fades away. Look at how strong you all are here on Low Sunday. You have faith in a resurrection you were not around to see. And on the days when you doubt, Remember that you are no worse off than Jesus' closest friends. That's another miracle. Please pray with me. Loving and gracious God, risen Jesus, inspire us this day to believe in you, to believe in the miracle of the resurrection and to act accordingly. We have received so many blessings to know you, to know your love, and to experience it in our daily lives. The greatest gift of all, the greatest blessing, is salvation. Such a gift that we will never fully appreciate. Help us to try. In your name we pray. Amen.